Chapter 11, Part 1 of History of the Christian Church During the First Six Centuries. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sean F. Sawyers. History of the Christian Church During the First Six Centuries by S. Cheatham. Chapter 11, Controversies on the Faith. Part 1, Standards of Doctrine. 1. The scriptures had in the fourth century, as in all ages, a unique respect. Every dogmatic statement must be capable of proof from scripture, and opinions which wanted this support could not be recognized as essential to the Catholic faith. This universal recognition of scripture as of the highest authority seems to presume that the limits of scripture are exactly known. But in fact, though there was in ancient times no very conspicuous controversy on the matter, there was no absolute agreement in all parts of the church as to the contents of the sacred canon. With regard to the Old Testament, the most competent judges among the ancient fathers recognized only the books of the Hebrew canon as irrefragable, and regarded the later editions of the Alexandrians, contained in the Septuagint, as of much less weight and value. This view prevailed in the Greek church, and was supported by the great authority of Athanasius. He recognized only the books of the Hebrew canon as in the strictest sense canonical. Others, contained in the Greek canon, he held might be read for example of life and instruction of manners, a rule adopted by the English church, while he applied the term apocrypha to spurious books which claimed authority under venerable names. Still, copies of the Septuagint translation, to which a special sanctity was given by the legend of its origin, continued to be sent forth and gave currency to the non-Hebrew books which formed part of it, though it can scarcely be said that even to this day the Greek church has adopted the Alexandrian canon. In the Western church, Rufinus gave his authority to a division equivalent to that of Athanasius. The first class, from which the faith is to be established, he called canonical, the second ecclesiastical, the third apocryphal. Jerome, however, used the word apocrypha so as to include all books not found in the Hebrew canon, and this is the sense which has become familiar in the Anglican Church. This usage is also adopted in the so-called 60th canon of the Council of Laodicea, which, if not genuine, is probably an ancient gloss. Still, the current Latin Bible was a translation from the Septuagint, giving no indication that the books contained in it were not all of the same authority and the great leaders of the Latin church were unwilling to draw distinctions which might shake the received tradition. Hence Augustine, who was followed by the great mass of later Latin writers, cites all the books in question as alike scripture, and when he gives a list of the books of which the whole canon of the scriptures consists, makes no clear distinction between the strictly canonical and the other books. It was doubtless under his influence that at the Third Council of Carthage, a list of the books of Holy Scripture was agreed upon in which the apocryphal books are mingled with those of the Hebrew canon. From this period, usage received all the books of the enlarged canon more and more generally as equal in all respects. Learned tradition kept alive the distinction between the Hebrew canon and the apocrypha which had been drawn by Jerome. As regards the New Testament, the Latin church adopted in the 4th century the complete canon which is received at present. Though occasional doubts were still expressed as to the admission of the epistle to the Hebrews, and the apocryphal epistle to the Laodiceans was often inserted among those of St. Paul. The Church of Alexandria also received the full canon of the Latin Church. 
In the East, generally, it was otherwise. The great writers of the Syrian church supply no evidence of the use of the epistle of Jude, 2 Peter, 2 and 3 John, or the Apocalypse, while Julinius places the epistle of St. James in the same class with these books, which were not universally received. The churches of Asia Minor received generally all the books of the New Testament contained in the African canon except the Apocalypse. This is definitely excluded from the list of Gregory of Nazianzus and pronounced spurious in that of Amphilicus. It is not included in the Laodicene canon, nor in that given by Cyril of Jerusalem. Epiphanius, however, though he notices the doubts which were entertained as to this book, adopts the canon of Africa and the West, which includes it. The Church of Constantinople does not seem to have recognized it until a late period. Everywhere, and by all schools of thought, the Holy Scriptures were accepted as inspired, in a very special manner, by God Himself. And almost everywhere the allegorical, often called the spiritual, method of interpretation was adopted. Plain history vanished in a cloud of mystic meaning, often of great beauty. Orthodox and heretical disputants alike commonly used this method. So clear-sighted a theologian as Athanasius, however, though brought up in the very home of allegory, saw the necessity for any sound interpretation of St. Paul, of taking account of the time of writing, the person of the writer, and the matter about which he wrote. 2. Besides the scriptures, it was generally acknowledged that very great respect was to be paid to the voice of the actually existing church, to the developments of a body having a continuous and divine life. In matters of ritual, the actual usage of the church was held sufficient to justify such things as the trying immersion in baptism, or the words of the invocation in the Holy Eucharist, which were confessedly not found in Holy Scripture. But in matters of doctrine also, in an age when there was a fierce war of parties which all claimed the support of the Scriptures, appeal was made to the voice of the church itself. This voice was found in the formularies of faith set forth by the representatives of the whole church, solemnly assembled in council. In the end, it turned out not to be always easy to determine what councils were to be held to represent the whole church. 3. We have seen already that it was found necessary to draw up short summaries of the faith of Christians, both for the instruction of those who were without and for the confirmation of those who were within the church. Such rules of faith were found at this period in various churches, but no one formula was universally adopted by the whole of the Christian church. In the fourth century this was changed. The whole church by its representatives and council set forth a confession of faith which was to be adopted by all Catholics throughout the world. The church itself appears as giving authority to a creed, not as independent of scripture, but as founded on it. It was admitted that a council which fairly represented the church at large, meeting and deliberating as in God's sight, might look for special guidance and enlightenment of the Holy Ghost. Constantine claims such guidance for the Council of Nicaea. Isidore of Pelusium speaks of it as divinely inspired. Basil the Great says that the fathers of Nicaea spake not without the influence of the Holy Spirit. The fathers themselves express a humble trust that what they have done is well-pleasing to God the Father, in the Holy Spirit. Yet even St. Augustine did not regard the decisions of an ecumenical council as absolutely conclusive for all time. A later council may be called upon to amend the decisions of an earlier. When Ramini is quoted against Nicaea, 
recourse must be had to that which all parties acknowledge, Scripture and reason. End of chapter 11, part 1. Recording by Sean F. Sawyers, O'Fallon, Missouri.